It is so great to have the choir back in the choir loft. Amen. Says Jeannie and so many of us, and, uh, and the choir is glad to be back too. So many have said they're, they're ready, and you could tell this morning as they were singing that song. Uh, two weeks ago, if you were able to join us uh, here or online, uh, we talked about uh, the, the third chapter of Acts when Peter and John uh, were able to stop and help a man at the gate uh, be healed and actually walk again. As we were talking about that particular chapter, uh, we, uh, Jay and I both talked about how uh, from conversation to conversation, sometimes it's, uh, it's aware that a lot of people haven't taken the time to read the whole book of Acts. And so there was sort of an encouragement to do that for some summer reading. Uh, lots of folks like to ask uh, for what's a summer reading book I could take. It's 28 chapters. It's basically about 28 to 30 pages in a regular size book. Very short, very quick to understand what uh, the Bible uh, for the longest time was known as the Acts of the Apostles. It's the very thing that started happening as the church began to form after the resurrection of Jesus. The, the struggles that they faced, the amazing miracles that they began uh, to con or actually continue to see. And so we're going to continue on in the book of Acts uh, for the next week or two including today, and, uh, and look about what happened. And today we're going to be uh, looking at the sixth chapter uh, of Acts, six and seven, actually. Now, those of you who have read it, you know that that probably, uh, or, or you probably know that that contains the story of Stephen. Now, I don't know what you know about Stephen. Many people, when they hear the word Stephen, they automatically think, oh, yes, that was the first person to be known as a martyr for Jesus. And while that is true, uh, there's so much more uh, of knowing about uh, the, the person named Stephen, the one who died at uh, the hands of an angry religious mob just as the church was being uh, birthed. However, as we look into that a little bit more intently and, uh, and discover some other things about Stephen, I think you will uh, maybe have your interest piqued that Stephen was just more than a person who said, I believe in Jesus, you know, uh, take it or leave it, uh, kill me or let me live, but I believe in Jesus. There were some more things to the person named Stephen. We don't know a lot about the first martyr. We do know from the book uh, that uh, some things were described of him. There were the disciples who were looking around uh, the church and, uh, and decided that uh, they needed to sort of divide up responsibilities uh, for tending to the widows, for actually uh, ministering the word of God. Uh, and so they decided as they were going to split and uh, divide up responsibilities, certain particular people who stood out to them to have uh, particular responsibilities, and Stephen was a person that came to their mind. I will start reading a little bit right uh, at the verse uh, 8 to help you understand who Stephen uh, is and how he was described. So beginning with uh, verse 8, it says, Now Stephen, a man full of grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Just prior to that, in verse 5, we'll push pause right there, I do want to tell you that in verse 5, it also describes Stephen as a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. 
It doesn't say that he was intrigued by the Holy Spirit or he had a little bit of the Holy Spirit within him and was interested in knowing more about the Spirit of God. It literally is recorded in the scriptures, Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. May we all be like Stephen and gain more and more faith and be filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, throughout the New Testament, we all are encouraged to be filled with the Spirit of God. Here it describes Stephen being filled with, with that Spirit. Moving on towards 9, because I want you to know the context of a little bit of what happened uh, before the crowd rose up against Stephen. Verse 9, opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedman, as it was called. Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Sicilia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom of the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified. This fellow never speak, stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say, that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses had endowed to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Interestingly, there is a person who is known around the community as a good person, a good neighbor, someone who helps others, who tends to widows, maybe somebody that you can think of in your own mind, a person who does good deeds. They're a reliable person in our community. Here, Stephen has that type of reputation. He goes out of his way to help people. What in the world could uh, make the Sanhedrin so upset about Stephen. He's doing miraculous things. He's actually uh, having wonders and signs done uh, from his speaking and his touching and the ministry. And yet, the religious leaders are bothered by what he's saying and claiming about Jesus. And so as they begin to uh, create false witnesses and uh, speak against him, the Sanhedrin was gathered together. Jesus once advised his disciples uh, before he himself was crucified. He said, I am sending you out like sheep in the midst of wolves, wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of them, for they will hand you over to councils and flog you in the synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings because of me as a testimony to them and the Gentiles. When they hand you over, do not worry about how to speak with them or what to say. For what you are to say will be given to you at that time. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. When Stephen began to start answering uh, why he was brought and the charges uh, that were gained to him, the question was very similar to what Caiaphas might have questioned Jesus with. 
Are these charges true? Stephen actually started out and not replying at all, but when he did start, he began with something soft and gentle. He said, brothers and fathers. But then as he hesitated, he said, listen to me very uh, emphatically, very authoritatively. And then he actually began to give a sermon. That response, the whole chapter of the response, there's no mistaken when he commands, listen to me. And beginning with Abraham and then moving to Joseph and Moses and Joshua and David and Solomon with quotations from the prophets Amos and Isaiah mixed in, he establishes three things in the sermon that he delivers before the religious authorities. The first one, as he's unfolding all of that history, Abraham and Joseph, he's not actually giving them a history lesson. They know it. But he's bringing clarity of the meaning as he's unfolding that history. And the first thing that actually he's trying to convey is that God has never limited himself to one space or one place like they were doing with the temple. That God cannot be boxed in, in other words. Secondly, uh, he was describing that God's people again and again and again have struggled obeying God. And number three, uh, he's actually also uh, highlights how leaders have had uh, a bit of a habit of rejecting and even killing the people whom God sends. The religious leaders did not like that. They were enraged with it. The heart of the argument was basically saying, you're making this temple more important than the one we worship, than the very object of our worship. God is not limited to a location and can't be contained by anything made by human hands. So then the question is, where do we find God? If we don't find him in the temple, where should we look for God? And Stephen's answer in a very thorough way is saying, look in front of you, look around you, look within you. God is there. Where two or three are gathered in my name, Jesus said, I am there among them. I am in their midst. The truth of that still applies today. That wherever there are believers gathering together, whether it's in the sanctuary, whether it's at the grocery store, whether it's at J.F. Gregory or some other park, that there Christ is in the midst. For we are the temples of the Holy Spirit as we are instructed from Scripture. Where do we find uh, Christ? Where do we worship Him? It's actually wherever we roam. When the time came before uh, Stephen to, to give an explanation to the hope, it, he actually is described as having his face radiant. That's amazing uh, when he understands exactly what he is up against. He doesn't answer with a yes or no question. He testifies as to the God of their history, whom they have worshipped again and again, year after year, and proclaimed. As I've said, as he started mentioning Abraham and Joseph, how, uh, how God helped both of those men, how God used Moses to deliver his people from bondage and help them to the promised land. He wasn't giving them a Jewish lesson 
He was actually saying that God was there long before any temple was ever built. And that God was there with all of those people, helping them, providing for them, uh, rescuing them. And that was not because of a temple. In fact, there is no temple where Abraham was. There was no temple when Joseph was thrown in the pit and sold to slavery. And yet God appeared to them. When uh, Stephen uh, notes that uh, when Solomon built his temple, that even Solomon said no building made with human hands could possibly contain God. God will, would, would God really dwell on earth, Solomon wonders, because the heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain you. So there was a portable tent that was made to be going around with them, again, to insta- ensure that God is with them wherever they go. So it is with you and I. We have holy sanctuaries where we come and we're reverent and we're still, and those are important. And yet what is even more significant is to realize it is not within four walls uh, that God is contained, that he goes with us everywhere. He began to rebuke and actually call uh, out that leadership, stiff-necked people who reject the Holy Spirit. Who wants to be called stiff-necked? Who wants to be called out uh, for something uh, that doesn't seem holy or right? And yet Stephen is bold to do so. It is said uh, that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then as he's describing all that and he's realizing the crowd is getting angrier and he's knowing the possibility that he's in very, very grave danger. In uh, the seventh chapter, just as they get angrier and angrier uh, at the comments that he's making, it says this. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious. Stephen full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they began to rush at him and dragged him out of the city. Meanwhile, their witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And as he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And once he said that, he fell asleep. Aren't those very, very interesting words that he prayed as his very last breath in his body, forgive them. The very words that Jesus said as he hung on the cross, Lord, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. The very thing that Stephen did. I want to point out, though, the fact that uh, the scriptures refer to Stephen seeing Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Throughout scripture, it talks about Jesus sitting at the right hand of God. Could it be that the wording... And the actual imagery that that Stephen was seeing Jesus stand 
because at the very closeness of his death, as he was standing for Jesus in the testimony, then Jesus stood for him. That, in fact, there was some type of uh, what we might call a standing ovation as he began to continually claim uh, the history of the Jewish people, the history of the people of God, and what they had been prone to do. And uh, what they had been prone to do is that their hope was in the promised land instead of the God who created it. Their hope was in the house of worship instead of the intended object of worship. Their hope was their law, the law, instead of the God who handed it down. Their vision, their priorities, the things that they were focused on had taken a shift away from God, their creator himself. Idols have a uh, gravitational pull in our lives too. There's a tendency, uh, even still among God's people, in every generation to worship something or someone other than the one true God. And there may still be a tendency of throwing stones towards those who remind us of idol worship and the, how futile it is and how sinful it is. It's been true of that happening truly ever since the Garden of Eden. But even though the truth of all of that and the misguided ways, the misguided steps and the sin there are, God, is what Stephen was saying, has remained faithful. That he is saying, I am the one that you need alone. Christ alone is our hope. It's not land, it's not temples, it's not laws. And as Stephen was telling the truth that God is faithful, that God is faithful even when we are faithless. How powerful that imagery is of Jesus standing as Stephen was standing. And the question, I guess, uh, as we look at that in depth and consider uh, the way that it's recorded, Stephen uh, uh, was full of the Holy Spirit, was full of faith, could that be said about you or about me? If uh, our epitaph, epitaph could be on the stone created, something along the same wording, full of faith, a person full of the Holy Spirit, asking to experience the fullness of God, one who gave their all and light, God their creator, are we able to stand for God? Are we able to realize that God is with us everywhere we go? Whether we're at the beach or at our house, on the mountaintop, or some valley, on some great uh, vacation that helps us relax and be renewed, or actually in the midst of a dark, dark night of the soul trembling and scared or angry or even when we're defiant. God is ever present and ever help in time of trouble. That God is ever ready to offer his provisions, to offer his forgiveness, to offer his steadfast hand 
to create steadiness within each one of us? Are we able to stand for God, to witness to his faithfulness in times of great trouble? Are we able to understand that all of humanity has struggled with idols, that all of humanity at some point or another have struggled with wanting to put something ahead of and worship something other than God? Are we able to call that out and say, let's make it right? Are we willing to be a person full of faith, a person that will testify to the Holy Spirit around all of us? May it be. May it be as we understand Jesus standing for Stephen, that he might stand for us even in our last days. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, as we look intently and deeper into the life of Stephen, may we understand that in his courage, it was the Holy Spirit that undergirded him. That he, as he faced difficulty, it was the Holy Spirit that still radiated upon his face, his face because of his faith. That no matter that they killed the body, they were not going to kill the spirit that would live with you. And that as he knew the truth and would want to speak and did so speak, that even as he faced danger to the point of death, he was faithful to you of knowing that you are the true God and he did not want to defy such. Oh, Father, help us learn from Stephen. Help us be encouraged by Stephen. Deepen our faith, oh Lord, that in times of joy, in times of sorrow, in times of conviction, in times of jubilation, we acknowledge and recognize you, our Father, for all your many gifts. We pray this in the powerful and most precious name of your son Jesus. Amen and amen.